0: We're looking this morning, in Matthew 24, at Jesus' coming appearance. I want to note, and you'll note first in your bulletin outline, the significance of parousia, which is the Greek word here for appearing. It's important you understand this word. The Greek term parousia is used by the disciples in verse 3 when they asked Jesus, What will be the sign of your parousia, your coming, and the end of the age? This subject came up again after Jesus' resurrection and just minutes before his ascension into heaven, although the term isn't the same. Lord, are you at this time, the disciples asked, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Acts 1 and verse 6. In other words, they were saying, is this the time when you will show yourself to the world, when you show yourself as the king, the creator, the uh, majesty that you are? Because the world hasn't seen that on this appearance. But what they saw was one that was subject to men beating him and torturing him and crucifying him, and that's what they know about you. Men have always been curious about the future, and it was the same with regard to the disciples. But with believers, with believers now, our interest is not in whether we will inherit a large fortune from the family, or live to a ripe old age, or get married and have a family, curious though we may be about some of those things. But our main concern about the future has to do with Jesus our Lord and when he will finally receive his just due as creator and Lord of the universe, the only sovereign worthy of the definition. Our future is not just about us. Our future is about our God and our King, and the fact that he needs to be vindicated as well as we need to be vindicated for all the smear tactics and mockery and insults that the world has leveled against him. Now what about this strange term, parousia, appearing? In classical Greek, the term was used of the visit of a person with high rank, especially especially of kings and emperors visiting a province. I have in my classical movie collection the film entitled Cleopatra, starring... Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton and Rex Harrison playing Caesar, who in extending his empire, conquered Egypt, making Cleopatra's empire a serfdom of Rome. She didn't much like that. She was summoned to Rome to appear before the Senate, which she initially protested. Who does he think I am? I am a queen. I am not coming. And so on. Well, she changed her mind as the pressure was put on her. So finally she agrees, but when she arrives at Rome, she is transported through the archway of Rome and down the boulevard on a golden stairway pulled by thousands of slaves. And atop the stairs is the throne, a golden throne, where she is seated. And Mark Anthony turns to Caesar and says something to the effect, she sure knows how. To make an appearance. That's this word, parousia. That's the idea of it. A dignitary, a queen, a king is appearing, coming on the scene. There is also contained in this word the element of surprise. We even have the connotation in English when we use the word appeared. Formally, appear means to come within public view where before you were not in view. We use the expression, so-and-so appeared out of nowhere. Well, we know that is not so. Someone had to be present somewhere in order to make an appearance. But we use that expression to indicate that the coming into view was unexpected. It was unplanned. It just happened. I mean, One minute, he or she was not there, and the next minute, there they were. Voila! They appeared. Well, the disciples wanted to know the signs to look for that would indicate Jesus' appearance, his coming again, his being present in full view. They believed in prophetic signs as indicators True, Jesus would tell them later in the book of Acts, it is not for you to know the time or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, Acts 1, verse 7. But they could they could become observers of the trends which precede Jesus' appearance. Paul made a point of distinction for believers. <clears throat> You'll find this, In 1 Thessalonians 5. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. There's that surprise element again. While people are saying, peace, safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. As labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, now listen to this this, this distinction he's making. But you, brothers, are not in darkness so that this day would surprise you like a thief. Oh, really? Yeah. You are all sons of the light, the sons of the day. We do not belong to the night. We do not belong to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, the first nine verses. There is something very wrong about a believer being totally in the dark about Jesus appearing. We may not know all the details. We certainly do not know the day. We do not know the time. But we can look for and observe the indicators given by Christ himself. Paul says that we are children of the day. We are children of the light, which is his way of saying we're not totally in the dark about these things, as is the unbelieving world. We do not know everything, but we know some things. And what we know gives us strategic advantage for preparation. And the central advantage is that for the believer, Jesus appearing will not be a total shock or surprise. Hopefully not catching us in a life of sin. The point of Jesus' account of the ten virgins, which is also here in Matthew's Gospel, awaiting the arrival of the bridegroom, is that while there were five who had not made ample provision for the appearance of the bridegroom, there were, may I say there are, equally as many others whose anticipation of the groom compelled them to have enough oil for their lamps for illumination, Should the groom delay his appearance? What's the idea here? Well, we do not know the exact time, but we know he's coming. We cannot pinpoint the day. We cannot pinpoint the hour. But we can read the times and watch for those signals that our Lord himself has told us about. So we need, as Christians, as believers, to be good readers of the times. Okay, point two. What are some of the initial signs of Jesus' appearance? This is him speaking. He's telling the disciples they want to know what's the signs of your appearing, your parousia, and he begins to uh, enunciate. Number one, a proliferation of religious deceivers. Look at verse four. Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming, I'm the Christ, I'm the Messiah and will deceive many. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a philosophy of life. And that is why true Christians cannot be coerced into giving up their faith. Now, I didn't know about this woman that was going to be announced on Fox News, so she's in my sermon. All right. Phil reported on Mother's Day the horrendous fate of Miriam Ashag, a woman in Sudan, who married a Christian man. In what Amnesty International, I'm reading from a news item now, in what Amnesty International Sudan researchers called abhorrent and appalling, a pregnant Christian woman has been sentenced to death by hanging for apostasy. She was also sentenced to one hundred lashes for marrying a Christian. Miriam Yahia Ibrahim Ishaq was born to a Muslim father and a Christian mother. Even though the father deserted the family when she was six years old and she was raised as a Christian, she is considered a Muslim by Sharia law. Half an hour before the hearing, an Islamic cleric spent time with her urging her to repent and accept Islam. She refused. The judge gave her three days to reconsider. She refused again. After the sentence was passed, Miriam told the judge, I am a Christian, and I have never committed apostasy. She was talking about apostasy from her faith, see. And now we hear news this morning that she may be released this week. This goes on. In Nigeria, ICC, the International Christian concern organization, also records on their website the testimony of a man named Abilah Adamu. Now these names are strange to us because we're not in Semitic language and so forth, but don't let that scare you. These are Christian people, Habila Adamu, who was shot in the head after he refused to deny Christ, but he miraculously survived. They, went, they want to Islamatize Nigeria. That is why they are targeting Christians, he told reporters. They wanted me to deny Jesus. We are sinners. We are condemned criminals. We are supposed to die. But he took all of these burdens. He paid for our debt. He died for us. Why can I not submit to Jesus? That is what I did. I stood him. Amen. Called the religion of peace, Islam is anything but a religion of peace. Their brutal tactics of torture and murder are well documented and their true allegiance is not to God. But as Jesus told the Pharisees, you belong to your father the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. John 8, verse 44. A religion? Yes, this is a religion. But a religion full of deception and lies and murder. Paul says, and no wonder... For Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then that his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14 and 15. In contrast, in contrast to that, Paul explains his own procedure. Rather, we, we and meaning the him and the apostles, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 2-5. through What a contrast between what goes on in religions of the world and what Paul does with the gospel and Christianity. Of those who received the truth and acted upon it, Jesus says, They overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Revelation 12, verse 11. Well, we just read about two accounts this morning of people who have done that. So, an escalation of false prophets, false teachers, and deception. Another sign of Jesus appearing, wars and rumors of wars, verse 6, but the end still is not to come. Nation will rise against nation. Now, since nations have always been power hungry and land hungry, what Jesus is referring to here must be something extraordinary. Primarily, I think these prophecies refer to the utter destruction of Jerusalem and the Jewish state by Titus in AD 70. A website called Pursuing Truth quotes Regarding the Roman Empire in the decades following Jesus' ascension, the Roman historian Tacitus had this to say. Quote, The history on which I am entering is that of a period of rich in disasters, terrible with battles, torn by civil struggles, horrible even in peace. Four emperors fell by the sword. There were three civil wars, more foreign wars, and often both at the same time. That's from Tacitus History, chapter 1, verse 2. The article goes on to say, as just one example, the Roman-Jewish war took place over six to seven years, a period of six to seven years, in which an incredible amount of blood was shed throughout Judea and Galilee. And women even devoured their own babies out of desperation. When Nero committed suicide in June of 68 AD, even the Roman Empire nearly collapsed in on itself due to jostling for power in what Josephus called Civil wars of horrible ferocity and dramatic proportions. Rome went through four emperors within one year. And Josephus remarked that every part of the habitable earth under them, that is the Romans, was in an unsettled and tottering condition." End quote. In one night, 8,500, one night, one night, 8,500 people were killed. And their bodies were cast outside of Jerusalem without being buried. The outer temple was overflowing with blood, according to Josephus. And the inner court even had pools of blood in it. Now this is a preterist group. Preterists believe in fulfilled prophecy. They think all prophecy has been fulfilled. So I don't recommend this site for everything they have to say. But they are correct in attributing Jesus' words here In Matthew 24, 4 and following, to Rome's crushing brutality against the Jewish state. Boy, they brought them down. They crushed them. Wars, rumors of wars, and Israel was broken. Third sign to look for, famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning. All these. Now, the signs I just talked about, and this one too. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Now, I've addressed these phenomena in previous messages, so I'm just going to say here at this point that there's going to be an escalation of these geographical events worldwide. California, one of the states of our union, which produces our fruit and vegetables, is in a severe drought and has been for a number of years now, and we are experiencing the result in higher produce prices in the supermarket. And again, because of the high cost of feed and the unavailability of grazing grass because it's been scorched, the beef industry has dumped its herds onto the meat market, resulting in initial lowering of beef prices, yes, but to be followed by skyrocketing beef prices when the glut of beef is gone. When Florida, the other state responsible for much of our fruit and produce, Experiences a deep freeze, there is a shortage of fruits and vegetables as well, and results in higher prices for poor quality. Famines and droughts everywhere, even in the good old USA. In Sudan, in Egypt, in Africa, and other arid region locations, these things occur on a regular basis, so that there is nothing extraordinary about these events. We'll say then, what's the point? Jesus gives it in verse 8. All these, the signs we've just looked at, all these are the beginning of birth pains. Meaning, the baby's on the way, but not yet ready to be delivered. In this scenario, the baby yet to come is referenced in verses 21 and following. For then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, never to be equaled again. Wow, you you see the change there. We now move from Jerusalem and Israel to the world. And if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. No. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. I hate to break it to you, but there will be no rapture. You will be here, or I will be here, or our generations will be here. The elect will be here. If those days had not been short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. Matthew 24:21 and following. Now, I read a text like that. We're here kind of in the middle of the chapter. What, if anything, is different from Jesus' prediction of false Christ and false prophets in these verses that I just read, in contrast to verse 5 where Jesus said, many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ. Well, in verses 21 and following, we have an intensification of the false, the deceptive, the lies, and Added phenomena, The added phenomena of the performance of great signs and miracles. So convincing, mind you, that they have the potential of deceiving the elect. God's true and discerning people. If that were possible, but it's not possible because, verse 25, Jesus has told us in advance so that we can be on the alert. Now what is happening here is that the world by and large associates the miraculous with God. It does. They have little or no thought that there is such a thing as fake signs and bogus miracles. But Paul explains that in the last days, and I'm reading scripture now, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan. How so? Displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so will be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed in the truth but have delighted in wickedness. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 9 through 12. Do you know anybody like this? I know people like this. They run here, they run there. They're chasing after every alleged claim of the miraculous, hoping by such to connect with God, while never repenting of their own sin, never seeking forgiveness in Christ. They're like the storm chasers on the weather channel who get their kicks living dangerously by chasing tornadoes in their cars. These miracle sign chasers get a kick out of the supernatural, not caring that Satan can perform the supernatural, not caring that his counterfeits are designed to lies, not caring that they are being deluded into thinking that they have made contact with God without having to repent of their wickedness, To connect with God. Oh, I saw a miracle. I saw it with my own eyes. Paul puts his finger on the major defect. Such people are not connecting with God. They are not being saved. Instead, he says, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And again, that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. They have not changed their life. They have not repented. They have not done any of that, which God requires. They're being snookered by the devil. <laughs> but they prefer that, because so long as they believe the delusion, they think all is well with their soul when it isn't. It's like people watching a magician. A magician whose, whose uh, illusion is so convincing, so fantastic, they prefer to believe that David Copperfield could actually walk through the great stone wall of China. They don't care to know that it is an illusion. They prefer to believe the lie because they like being wowed. They like being... Uh, Brought into the unknown and the mysterious. Well, that may not be problematic with a known and recognized illusionist like Copperfield. Because deep down under, the audience knows it's not real. (laughs) But when Satan's counterfeits come along, the entertainment value is not The followers are in danger of perishing. They believe the lie. They imbibe the lie. They act upon the lie. And in so doing, neglect or discard the only truth that can save them from the coming wrath of God. So this is a very serious matter. This is not entertainment. And brethren, this is where we are at today. This is where we are at today, and it's going to go from bad to worse. What then happens? Well, that's the second point in our outline, Satan's end in our salvation. In the spiritual battle in the heavens, someone will win, and someone will lose. In the new curriculum being adopted in many schools across our country and in the athletic departments across our country, the new protocol is that there are no losers, only winners. Thus, schools are dropping honorary awards like valedictorian, valedictorian. They're dropping those from their graduation ceremonies. Why? Well, because we do not want those students who did not get straight A's and a perfect 4.0 average to feel bad at graduation. So they eliminate the valedictorian speaker. Coaches are working hard to see to it that anyone, anyone, anyone who played the game, be it hockey, football, soccer, whatever, receives a trophy. You see, everyone's a winner just for showing up, even if your team finished last in the playoffs. That's the new protocol. Paul gives the biblical principle, using himself as an example. Here's what he says. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, (laughs) but only one gets the pro? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games, he's talking about the Olympics, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that that will not last. He's talking about these little laurel wreaths they, they handed out in the Greek games. But we, we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly, taking side trips, detours. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body. I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 20. You know what he's saying? Not everyone's going to be saved. That's what he's saying. Salvation isn't blanket. It's not for everyone. Just cause you showed up. Just cause you were born. Just cause you're among human beings. Just cause you think you're a good person in your heart. Jesus put it this way in case you think Paul's off, off base. Jesus says in Revelation 3, 21 and 22, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Wake up, churches, is what Jesus is saying. It's not because you show up, it's not because you're dressed sitting in a pew. you an overcomer, dedicated to the church, dedicated to Christ's kingdom. Observe in our text, verse 30, at that time the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will what? Mourn, mourn, Uh uh-oh, uh-oh, trouble, 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 trouble. Why are they mourning? They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Matthew 24 verse 30 and 31. It's judgment day. That's that's why they mourn. The elect of God, the true elect of God, the overcomers, those that didn't hang on to their life at all costs, did not give up their life when they were persecuted, did not give up and recant their faith in Christ because they were persecuted well or I'll kill you if you don't recant, okay, kill me they were overcomers and Daniel's prophecy which we read this morning in the meditation tells us this will be the overthrow of Satan's rule as well let me read it for you again But the court will sit. And his power, Satan, will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom, Christ, will be an everlasting kingdom. And all rulers will worship and obey him. That's why they mourn. It's judgment day for them. And their king, Satan is defeated. Daniel 7, 26 and 27. One winner. One winner here. And it isn't the serpent. No. His head is crushed by the seed of the woman. And Christ's scepter of iron rules, dashing his opposers. It's great to know this. Secondly, when saith, with Satan was destroyed, the salvation of the saints is secure. Verse 31 indicates that Jesus will use the angels to gather his elect people from all over the world. In Matthew 25, verse 34, it gives, it gives Jesus evaluation of the elect. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Matthew 25, verse 34. Can you believe this? Jesus is doing everything that he does for the sake of his saints, for your sake and my sake. And Daniel predicted that, and here's Jesus saying it. Earlier Jesus had taught, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into a fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has an ear, let him hear. Matthew 13, verses 40-40. through Again, what are we seeing? Losers and winners. wheat and weeds. Saved and lost. Eternal life or eternal punishment. That verse is Matthew 25, verse 46. And I have to ask the question, which will it be for you? Which will it be for you? Now no one needs to be, no one needs to be among the lost. This is your own doing. Paul attributes it to stubbornness. Let's, let me read it for you. It's in Romans chapter two and verse five. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself. You see? For the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Romans 2 verse 5. He's saying, you do it to yourself. You did it to yourself. By refusing to repent of your sin and seek God's forgiveness in Christ. People haven't learned much since the days of Israel's relationship to God in the Old Covenant. Because here's what Jeremiah prophesied. He was told by God to prophesy judgment on Israel. And then he's given this reason. For when I brought your forefathers out of Egypt and spoke to them, I did not just give them commands about burn offerings and sacrifices, but I gave them this command. Obey me and I will be your God and you will be my people. Walk in all the ways I command you that it may go well with you. But they did not listen. They did not pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubborn inclinations of their evil hearts. What a description that is. They went back. I'm still reading scripture. They went backward, not forward. From the time your forefathers left Egypt until now, day after day, again and again, I sent you my servants, the prophets, preachers. They did not listen to me or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and did more evil than their forefathers. When you tell them all this, Jeremiah, they will not listen to you. When you call to them, they will not answer. Therefore say to them, this is the nation that has not obeyed the Lord its God or responded to correction. Truth has perished. It has vanished from their lips. Jeremiah 7, and following. See what happened? Same thing Paul predicted in Thessalonians. They perished because they did not love the truth. Israel perished because it did not abide by the truth. Again, we read from the book of Hosea. The Israelites are stubborn like a stubborn heifer. How then can the Lord pasture them like lambs in a meadow? Boy, that's quite picturesque, isn't it? they are like bulls ready to gore you. Enamored by their own strength. When will they realize they're just sheep, they're just lambs, and that I'm the strong one? Well, do you know that in His sovereignty, God makes lambs out of loud mouths and penitents out of the proud? There's room in the universe for but one God, and it ain't you. May the Holy Spirit convince you of this truth. James writes, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning. Change your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. James 4, 7 through. Folks, stubbornness, stubbornness fueled fueled by pride will be the downfall of all unrepentant sinners. Everyone to a man. To hear the truth is not enough. We must believe it and act upon it. May God grant you faith today and repentance. Our Lord, we thank you for your word and pray your blessing upon it. Signs of Christ's coming. Well, we're already seeing some of these signs. This is the beginning of trouble. We know that. There's a lot more to come. I pray that you will use these times for us to be bold in our witness. That you will not withhold your spirit from our generation. I pray that people will hear the gospel today and not be like Israel of old. I pray that you will remove the stubbornness from them. I pray that you will make lambs, lambs out of the haughty and the proud. I pray, Lord, that you will bless them with your saving grace. Grant them the faith they do not have and the ability to turn away from their sin, which they love so much. Remove the stony heart of stubbornness, and Lord, give them a heart that beats after you with love and compassion. For your glory. Yes, but also for their good, we pray these things.